Dude, yeah. I, I'm way less nervous. Do, do I seem less nervous? Than when? When I got in the car. Yes. All right, cool. You seem way more calm. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Optive Podcast. is a podcast where John Sekatowski, Nick Gibson, and me, Andy Schmidt, will be discussing some of the hard theological and cultural topics in the Bible, bringing three different perspectives from three different generations. I hope you enjoy. But this week, Nick is in India, and John has some busy, crazy stuff going on, and so neither of them could be in the podcast, so I had to replace them with somebody even better we got Vincent Pieri from Kentucky here. Uh, he's going to be on the podcast. Thanks for joining us, Vince. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Great dude. to be here. I, I had to make some calls. I, I Calling all around the country. I needed to get the, the best evangelist, obviously. Uh, who, who's the guy? Who, who, who am I thinking of right now? The, the greatest evangelist of all time. Like Billy Graham? Billy Graham. I don't know yeah. why I couldn't think of his name. It's yeah, he good. couldn't make it for obvious reasons. <laughs> um, but Vince could make it. And you flew so me in, private I, jet. I flew you in. We got you a really nice uh, really nice hotel and everything. Yep, um, probably some sneakers. Right, it's the Optic Podcast. We, 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 we're the best. We give, we give the people the best for the best. Um, <laughs> so we're starting a new mini-series. Uh, before I before I go into that, the Optive Music Podcast has dropped two podcasts. Make sure to go listen to that. We talked about we ranked Kanye's albums in the first podcast, which was so good. We got some hot takes. If you like Kanye, you should listen to it. Like, right, Vince? You like Kanye, right? I would feel uncomfortable saying I'm a Kanye fan, <laughs> not because I'm anti Kanye, but because I think I only know like the singles and stuff. Right. Okay. Well, then don't take Vince's don't. But but listen to the and then the second one we have the best ten albums of the decade, um, so that that that's fun. So you guys should go listen to that. But right now we're starting a new mini series here on the Optive Podcast. Uh, in Ephesians four verse eleven, we're gonna I'll read it right now and then we'll kind of talk through what we're gonna be talking about. Um, so Ephesians four verse eleven says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Um, so that's 11 and 12. I cut it off because the rest of it is just long, and it's just a run-on sentence for a long time. A very big run-on sentence. Mm-hmm. But uh, that was the ESV version as well. So some of them say, instead of shepherds, I think it says pastors. So we got Vince here because I was thinking about what... I want to get a different person who represents each one of these things. And I think that you best represent an evangelist, which is cool. Um, But usually when I'm thinking of what's an evangelist, I think of Billy Graham. I think that's what most Americans think of when American Christians think, oh, Billy Graham, Billy Graham. Because I don't know. You probably know the story. When my dad was younger, he used to go out on the streets and he used to preach on the streets to people. And his dream was to become like Billy Graham. And it never happened, obviously, um, because most I think most Americans, they think of evangelism, they think of Billy Graham right away. Um, but not every American Christian is going to become like Billy Graham. And so when Paul is talking in this, what, what is an evangelist like? What is an evangelist to you? I guess. Well, what does an evangelist look like to you? Um, yeah, maybe specifically based on that verse. Yeah. Based on that verse. And then also just. Well, yeah. Based on this verse. What do you think? Yeah. Well, one interesting thing about that verse is that Paul lists those different, what people maybe call offices, 
the office of a pastor, the office of a prophet, I think was one of them, right? Yeah, a prophet yeah. was one of them. Yeah. The office of an evangelist. So he's talking about a person who excels in one of those abilities or roles. So I think in that passage, when Paul says evangelist, he's talking about someone who is highly gifted in evangelism and likely spends most of their ministry time, um, like the hours they spend doing ministry, most of that time is likely spent on evangelism. And I would think the the Billy Graham stereotype or the person who goes to yeah. and preaches to a large group of people um, who don't know Jesus or some of them who don't know Jesus would actually probably not be the worst comparison to what Paul really? is talking about, I I think. But I think maybe the most important thing and maybe where you were hoping for this conversation to go is that that's not the only way that evangelism looks. And in that passage, Paul says God gave the church people with these gifts to equip the rest of the body to do the very same things that they do. Now, he doesn't explicitly say evangelists equip people for evangelism, but I think it's likely there's a good amount of safety in assuming that the people with these roles do pass on what they're strong in to the rest of the church. So somebody that spends all of their time doing evangelism, preaching to lost people, I would think that they're there to equip the church for the works of that same kind of ministry in their day-to-day lives. Yeah. So a Billy Graham type who preaches to the lost might be both doing that ministry of preaching to the lost, but also sending down and equipping people yeah. to do evangelism in their day-to-day lives. I haven't spent a lot of time researching what I just said, so that's hopefully fine. that's true. But <laughs> That's fine. I, yeah, well, I also forgot to mention like what you do. <laughs> so yeah, what, what do you fine. do? You, you can... Well, I used to work at High Point Church, right. which is closely connected with this podcast, right? Pretty close, yeah. Pretty closely. Yeah. Pastor Pastor Nick is the lead pastor of High Point Church. So when yeah. I was on staff at High Point, I started out doing the worship ministry, and then I was the kids' pastor after that. And now me and my wife, Joanna, moved to northern Kentucky, just south of Cincinnati, Ohio, right on the border of Ohio and Kentucky. And I am the executive pastor of a church there of uh it's the the bridge supermarket <laughs> because it's called the bridge church <laughs> yep and it's located inside a former grocery store yeah <laughs> and the outside looks like somebody slapped some church paint on a grocery store yeah yeah but i was gonna say so we'll, we'll we might get to this a little bit later um but first one of the first questions i thought of off of this verse was this is so most people that listen to this podcast are young uh like my age in the 20 early yeah. 20s. So so like we're trying to figure out I'm trying to figure out what the crap does God want me to do with my life. And when mm. I read through this, I'm like, okay, these are five different roles that basically not not everybody's like a gigantic leader in all these roles, but these are five different roles that you could place everybody into one or two of these roles and say like, okay, Vince, I view you as you're really good at evangelism. Like you're really good at connecting with people and you're good at evangelism. So like like you could be placed in that role and you could also be placed in another role. Like, so when I think of Nick, I think of a teacher. Nick is really great at teaching people. I think a John is really great at teaching people as well. And, and they're kind of in, in that. And, and obviously that's not, they're not like 
stuck in that and they can't do anything else. But young people, we're trying to figure out what are we supposed to do? How can we benefit the church? How can I benefit the church? How do I figure that out? When I read this, it's like, I don't even know what a prophet is, which doesn't matter. But when I'm, how how do you, how do you know what, what is an event? Like, what is your modern day evangelist? What is your, not your, your high, high end Billy Graham evangelist, but your everyday evangelist, your, your Joe Schmo evangelist look like, and how do you find out where where you fall into that picture, even if you do fall into that picture as a young person. Yeah. That's a big question. But Yeah. So f- let me just make sure I'm hearing you right. So a young person, early 20s, yeah, they're like, what's God's purpose for my life? They read a passage like that and says, hey, there's all these different roles. Yeah. And they might say, well, which one am I? Yeah. Do I have one of those? Right. And also, it doesn't have to be within the church. Yeah. I think that's one of the important things. You probably are going to say that, but for your everyday life. Like there's people who are amazing at evangelism who don't even do it with within the church. They're doing it outside yeah. of the church. So. Yeah, that's a great question. I would say based on that passage specifically, I think what Paul is describing when he talks about those five people is he is talking about, I think it's safe to say something along the lines of like a kind of catalytic leader. These are These are five roles that... When Paul talks about it, he's talking about people who hold that role in a sort of um, notable, uh, higher profile way. So God gave the the big body of the church yeah. people who have the role of prophet, have the role of yeah. evangelist. And so if you're beginning your journey of what it looks like to follow Jesus and be used by Jesus both inside and outside the church. Yeah. I think the way you would apply this passage is less which of those five am I and more how can I find a prophet who can rub off on me? Okay. How can I find an evangelist who can rub off on me? How can I find a pastor and a teacher? How can I find somebody who is functioning in this office in a way that's um seems like they've had an effective track record? over a longer period of time, maybe older, but maybe not necessarily older, but someone that's kind of um, through their life proven to be effective in one of those five areas and then say, I want to get close to that person. I want to build a relationship with them. I want them to equip me for works of ministry. Discipleship. Discipleship, right. Both of my person, I mean, discipleship can be used in terms of someone helping another person walk out their faith. But in this context, specifically, Finding someone who's effective and has a long tracker, track record in one of those five areas. Tracker. Tracker. <laughs> like a tracking device. Yeah. A long track record in one of those five areas and then saying, help me learn to do what you do on a big scale. Help me learn to do that in my day-to-day yeah. life. Does that answer your question? Yeah, kind of. So if somebody, so let's say I'm, I'm young, young Andy, which I am young Andy, yep. <laughs> and I come to you, the old Vince, yeah, very old, uh, and very, very old, very wise. And I say, Vince, I see that you're very good at connecting with people and I want to be like you and I want to be, I want to be able to connect with people and tell them about the gospel. Yeah. I want to be effortless. Like I don't even want to have to use tools. Right. I want to just go out there and do it. What are you going to tell me? Right. Well, I would say I, I very much hope you are right in putting me in the evangelist category. Do you think I'm wrong about that? Well, it's something I'm very passionate about. I definitely feel like there are people much more gifted and have had much more effectiveness in their life than me. And maybe that's some of the beauty of this paradigm is that 
Timothy maybe was seen with an apostle gift in terms of he was going and helping solidify and establish churches, setting up leadership structures. Mini Paul. Mini Paul. Yeah. But Timothy would say, well, I'm looking to Paul yeah. to teach me how to be an apostle. So I feel like if you see me as an evangelist, I'm very, you know, honored. Yeah. I'm honored oh. by that. And I put myself very much in the same way of I'm trying to find people that are have more effective in evangelism than me, pastors of churches where people are coming to Christ more regularly and more readily than how they are at the church where yeah. I'm currently serving. So I kind of think I lost track of your original yeah, question. Yeah, well, I said... Um, what would you do? What would you do? Like, yeah. What, what are you going to tell? Like, where do I start? Or like... Right. You know, obviously this is like... So this is a tricky thing with this podcast that right. I've been like... What I what the one thing that I've always hated in the church, and you know this is is programs, right? I've told yeah. you that a million times. It's like I hate programs. I think that they are stupid. Yeah. I don't think that all programs are stupid. There's there's some programs. There is a certain program that Vince started that literally changed my life. <laughs> <laughs> so so it's called Forgiven and Free. And so I, but when when you do something like this, people will be like. I'm just going to listen to these podcasts and I'm just going to listen to sermons and I'm going to go to church on Sunday and I'm fine. Right. And like I'm growing in my faith. I'm fine. Yeah. But I think what you're, what, what I just heard from you is that like, no, if you want to be very effective, you got to go actually search out somebody, right? You got to go yeah. search for somebody. Cause I, cause like when, when you, cause when I listen to the, like when people listen to stuff, they're like, well, I've gotten this idea from younger people that it's like, discipleship is if I like listen to a sermon, I'm being disciple. Oh, discipled, right. Which I see is what you're saying. Kind of true, but it's also kind of not because there's no relationship. in that Yeah. Thing. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That, that, those are great, great like um, questions, questions to think about. Yeah. I would. So maybe just a few thoughts. Yeah. Um, and I'd, I don't have all the facts lined up in my head, but I do know, I believe in the early church, mm-hmm. there was very large scale meetings where apostles or people associated with them would preach to large groups of people, thousands of people. And it was a very one directional, just listening mm-hmm. to that person preach. But there was also smaller group networks meeting in homes. And then there was a lot of life on life discipleship as well. So in general, I try to think of most things that operate along these lines of what you're talking about in terms of all, you know, it's always both and right. Mm-hmm. I would never tell someone, don't listen to a podcast. Don't listen to a sermon. Don't listen to an evangelism <laughs> training from an evangelist. Yeah. Obviously, all those things can be super helpful. But I would say if you read Ephesians 4 and say, if all these five people, these five roles are supposed to equip me for works of ministry inside and outside the church, I would say the best way to apply that is to get as close to someone in one of those five categories as you can. Get as close to that person as you possibly can. The closer you get to them relationally, I think the more what they know will rub off yeah. on you. So if you want to get close to it, if you want to learn to do evangelism from an evangelist, find an evangelist, build a relationship with them and say, let me watch you spend time with non-Christians in your life. Tell me stories about people you've led to Christ. And then if possible, invite them into your life as you do the same thing. Yeah. Say, hey, I've got a friend from work and I'm gonna we're gonna go out 
to a restaurant this weekend. It's the first time I've spent time with him outside of work. I want to start helping him think through spiritual things in his life. I'm not sure how open he is. He might have some openness. He might not have some openness. Would you be willing, quote unquote evangelist, to just come hang out with us? Yeah. Help me get a feel for where he's at. Help me. Yeah. You know, okay. give me feedback on the questions I'm asking him. Um, does that make sense? Does that seem kind of weird? Like, okay, w- right. That's that's like good. I agree with that. But to somebody my age, uh, when that that seems awkward and weird. Is that just something you got to get over? Because when I think about that, it's like it's like then if I feel like I'm going into like dinner with these people and I'm trying to do an interview on them, or like I'm like, yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, I think if you invite an evangelist, depending on how socially aware they are, and you say, hey, I'm trying to help this guy get to know Jesus. And that evangelist shows up and says, well, let me give you four reasons you should walk with Jesus. It's going to be awkward. Yeah. Be very awkward. But if right. the goal is just to spend some time together, yeah. eat some food, yeah. um, just hang out as a group of people. Like if I had a friend who wasn't a Christian, this happened recently. A friend in the Kentucky area, actually that I went to middle school with, moved there recently. We both moved there around the same time. And um, I have been spending time with them. We've had some spiritual conversations. And then I just invited them to hang out with some other Christian people Mm -hmm. um, from the church, both so we could have some more relational connection with them. Well, I don't even know if this was a reason, but if I had... uh, Dude, you did that to me. Like, when I was a senior in high school, you were like... Come hang out with us. You were like, yo, come swimming. And I was like... All this right. Weird, I right? was like, this dude, this old dude invited me to go swim. But then, but then, but then, it was like, not just me and you for the record. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't. No, yeah. that would have been so weird. Yeah. But no, there was other people there and we go swimming and I felt like over time, the more things that you invited me to, you started doing this with your neighbor too at the country uh, yeah. meadows where we lived. Yeah. It was like, you started, you, what, so I tried to, pick up all these things that you've done throughout the years of me knowing you and like, how do you get people together? Because there is that the side of things where it's like, you don't want to shove Christianity down somebody's throat. And I feel like maybe besides, I I think a pastor and an evangelist probably have two of the most, or being a shepherd or being somebody who goes out and and loves to do evangelism. They're two of the most uh, emotional and relational things Mm. out of the list. Um, yeah, and so um, a shepherd and a pastor is relational within the church, and evangelist is relational outside the church. Yeah, absolutely. And so um, an evangelist is, I think, it's a little bit more tricky. I, I it feels more tricky because no Christians want to do it. So right. there's the, because the relationship thing, like you, you have these Christians who want to go out and, and share their faith, but they just shove Christianity down this person's throat. This person's like, I don't want anything to do with you. Um, but also, you can't keep waiting around forever. So, like, what do you do? What does yeah. a Christian do? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yes, yes. I would say a few things. One, you do have to take into consideration the culture you're in. So, if you go to a culture where everybody mostly believes in God, there's a spiritual openness maybe even some Christian roots or some Catholic roots. Sometimes you can 
you can launch straight into spiritual stuff. Yeah, right out the gate. And right out the gate, and they're ready to talk about Jesus. And I think there are also some, maybe not even cultural context, but just individual people you'll meet who are super opposed. And I think you just have to treat each context and each individual person based on where they are at. I think the only formula, if you talk about like, how do you just be a person who will get to the end of their life and look back and say, the Lord used me to lead some people to faith. I think the, the biggest, like the most broad scale formula that I would think of. And the only one that I try to live my life by is just trying to make sure there are always people who don't know Jesus in my life. Yeah. That I have relationships, friendships with people who do not believe in Jesus. I'm spending time with them. I'm getting to know them. That to me over the long haul of life is the only secret or not the secret, but the, the pattern to follow. If you stay connected to people who don't know Jesus closely connected i believe god will over the years use you to lead some of them into a relationship with god Mm -hmm. if you do not have friends who don't know jesus that you spend time with outside of work outside of the gym whatever if you don't have actual friends who don't know jesus it does not matter what formula you know does not matter what gospel tract you are familiar with it does not matter what training you've been through you will get to the end of your life and look back and say, you know what? I just kind of stayed inside the Christian bubble yeah. and God didn't use me for that. And that doesn't mean you're going to hell. It doesn't mean you're not a real Christian. It just means that you didn't reach you, your potential. You missed an opportunity like that, yeah. to build the kingdom of God, which is right? a big opportunity. It's a big opportunity. But like, that was what we talked about a lot, a lot where I was like, if I start hanging out with you, Vince, I don't want to not hang like I need to hang out with non-believers. Right. I don't ever want to stop hanging out with non-believers, but here's what I've noticed. I still hang out with non-believers on a weekly basis or I try to as much as I can. Yeah. But I've noticed that the more that I've gotten involved into the local church here at high point is that like, obviously I've met more people and they're all great and I love hanging out with them. And that takes time for my schedule and like I did realize at a point, I think it was like two or three months ago where I was like, I'm not hanging out with any non-believers anymore. Right. And, and it's like, you don't even realize it. And you get yes. kind of, it, it feels like you're getting sucked in. Like I felt like I, when I realized that I was like so mad at, I was like, all these people, they're sucking yeah. me into their little cult. But that's not really what's happening. I think that it's like a good thing. Like hanging out with the community is a great thing, but I think you have to make more of an effort as a believer to actually like go outside yeah. the church. Cause that that's, it's tough. I don't, it's just hard. Yeah. I think one of Satan's probably things he gets most excited about is that oftentimes the people who are m- most easily connected to non-Christians are sometimes the people who are just little baby Christians or aren't really growing spiritually. They're kind of half in half out mm-hmm. And they have the gospel, but they're maybe not serious enough about their faith to bring it to their friend group who they're connected with, right? Mm -hmm. And then as people grow spiritually, the immediate drift is to replace your non-Christian friend group Mm 
with all Christians so that by the time you're actually godly enough to make an impact on a non-believer, you don't, you don't even have any friends who aren't believers. So that's the big struggle. I think on a, on a broader scale is, is how do we disciple people that are only nominal Christians loosely connected with the church, but still have non-Christian friends. How do we disciple them in a way that keeps them connected to non-Christian people? Right. And then also how do we help growing and more mature Christians to take the steps back out of the church, make the time for it, take the risk of building those relationships back again with people that are far from God. Yeah. So I want to shift into something. Um, we'll, we'll come back to talking a little bit more about the church, but I want to shift into something that, uh, if anybody knows me, they know that this is coming. I want to talk about, I want to talk about, uh, specifically, I want to talk about crew, which is campus, campus crusade for Christ. I don't know if that's what they call themselves. That was what it was originally called. They're mostly known by crew now in the, in the paperwork somewhere. It still might be campus crusade for Christ, but yeah. So crew, they're, uh, college uh, campus ministry that that is I think it's more centered around evangelism and sharing the gospel more than other college campus ministries like I think crews they're like we got to share the gospel which is great but um and before I talk about this I want to just make it clear because a, a decent amount of people that listen to this podcast are from crew and so I do not hate the people in crew I love the people in crew I think that they love Jesus and that they want to do their best for him and they're they're awesome and I know a lot of them I have a lot of really close friends of people in crew I don't like a lot of what crew does so I don't want people to take this as me saying I hate crew but I'm wondering from from your perspective and I just want to talk about it because I feel like I haven't talked about it in a minute but crew does a couple things so I went on this missions trip this summer with crew and we it uh, we did a, a outreach and evangelism on the beach and we would go up to people with this booklet called the KGP, which means the knowing God personally booklet. And we go through this booklet with people and the whole time something inside of me was like, this is, this is off and this is wrong. Why, why are you doing this? Like, like something was nagging at me in my head and I, I think it was the Holy spirit. I know it was the Holy spirit. I'm, I don't even know why I'm saying. I think I know it was the Holy spirit. He was like, dude, why are you doing this? You know, the gospel, First off, you know the gospel, you don't need this booklet. And second, this booklet isn't representing like it I think it talked about repentance once in a parentheses and it I, it didn't, I didn't feel like it made like a great representation of like you're a sinner and you need help and you're basically screwed if you're going to hell. Like it didn't say like you're going to hell if you don't follow Christ, which I think is pretty important for people to understand. And also the whole booklet was was all aimed towards people praying a prayer which we know can be destructive because people will pray this prayer. I know many people that I went to use conferences growing up and they prayed this prayer and their lives are out of control and they are not believers, but they're like, I'm good. I prayed the prayer. I did it. I'm good. Okay. Where do you draw the line then when it comes to evangelism, where it's like pressuring people into praying a prayer and also like you need some people just need tools Like the KGP was helpful for a lot of people because maybe I'm more of a relational person and I'm it's I, it's easier for me to go up to people and just start talking to them but some people are like I need help and that's great that's fine everybody's different but where do you draw the line there because that that really bothered me about what they were doing there so what do you think about that we yeah. talked about it like a million times I think me and you yeah I know we've talked about this and I I think the general result of that was realizing 
me and you probably don't think the same way about yeah. this particular issue. Yeah, so so let's hear it. Yeah, so let's, let's hear fight. It. No. Let's fight on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I have not been on staff with crew, but my wife Joanna was on staff with crew for a year. And by the way, she's like probably one of the best I wanted her on this podcast because I think she's awesome at sharing yeah. the gospel. Yeah. But she couldn't because you have to get her on another t- time. Technical <laughs> technical <laughs> difficulties. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. And then we have and we have uh Nicole just walked into the room to say hi to Vince. Nicole Kyle just say walked hi to into him. the room. Say hi to- this microphone that microphone is not on. Are you sure? That one is not on. Okay. You can say hi to him in that one. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right. So I feel like so All we right. paused and now we, we're back. We're back. We're back. We just got a Nicole little just walked in and was like I'm going to interrupt the podcast. How it's rude and it's just disgusting. It's horrible behavior, and we're not going to invite her back on the podcast because of it. Uh, <laughs> but anyways, yeah. What were we? Th- we were talking about it crew. Sound, yeah, it sounded like you had maybe two big pushbacks on crew things. One is highly. This isn't to bash crew. Yeah. I hope you guys know. This is just my only my only experience with this type of thing is with crew. So yeah. like, I'm bringing them up. I, I love people in crew. I literally love people in crew. So yeah. don't, I don't want people to feel like I'm just trying to bash them. Yeah. Yes. So in terms of your actual two, it sounded like there was two main concerns. One was highly encouraging people to use a tool as they share the gospel. And then I think I came down on that one a little bit recently. Okay. Because okay. it's like, I understand there's, especially at a church like High Point, which we'll talk about later, but there's a lot more intellectual people who aren't very relationally developed or maybe like relation they're just not relational at all and that's fine they might need a tool to just help them get into conversations that's cool what do you want do you want to start with the other thing about having them pray the prayer yeah let's start start with the prayer let's start with the hot topic the hot topic um well i do think biblically that salvation begins with a personal decision to follow Jesus. I think if we think of the New Testament as our paradigm, they went out, they preached, and they said, surrender your life to Jesus. Not in those words, but if you think of Peter's sermon on Pentecost, you know. But it was always, it wasn't the prayer that was the defining moment, it was the baptism. I think that is probably true, but there was the people who were baptized were baptized immediately following their decision to join this movement. So nobody was baptized that hadn't made that decision. Yeah. Everybody that had made that decision was was baptized as far as we can tell immediately. Yeah. Although over time they started shifting that practice and why they the early church, I believe, I'm not an expert on this, but I believe in the first like 100 or 200 years, they realized a lot of people would make the decision, get baptized, and then walk away. So they said, well, let's have them make the decision and give them a couple Time. years to see if they're really serious or not before we give them the official baptism. baptism. Now, I do think if we think of the New Testament as our standard, then the paradigm is make the decision to repent of your sins, put your faith in Jesus as the crucified and resurrected Savior of both your soul and the whole world, 
and then be baptized. I do think baptism is the primary outer sign, but I do think that the idea was you have to make a decision. Now, I, I think I would say biblically that that decision does not need to include a prayer. It, it is a decision of the will to repent of your sins and give your life to Jesus. But I think a prayer is as good a marking or identifying tool as anything to make that decision. Like it's like saying, I do at the altar. That's not really what makes you legally married. What makes you legally married is when you sign that contract Mm -hmm. and send it in to the, um, you know, government that's probably not the right word, but you know, yes. <laughs> the government. they sent it to Donald Trump. <laughs> right, right. But the ceremony is just a ceremony, but it's a necessary part to verbally say out loud, I do. And I think the prayer of salvation is just a practical way for people to, with their actions, say, I'm making this decision to follow Jesus. Now, Wouldn't has there the- been a... You'll continue. continue. I was going to say, there's obviously been abuses out of that where people say, hey, just get the words out and then we know you're saved. And that's not true. And also people that maybe felt like they meant it in the moment, but 10 years later, they're atheists and it's safe to assume, well, they probably didn't mean it or Or not mean it. They didn't genuinely repent of their sins and give their life to Jesus. But I do know from knowing, since we're talking about crew, specifically with... um. Bill Bright, the founder of it, and the current staff, their theology is totally in line with what I'm saying. You know, they don't believe it's a magical prayer that if you pray it regardless of the condition of your heart, that it'll just get you saved. They would they would think about salvation the same way you would and the same right. way I would. Now, when you send out 150 or 200 college students to preach the gospel, are some of them going to fumble through some of it? Absolutely. Most of them shouldn't no matter be doing what. It. I think that think that's what bothers me is like okay, um some of these people aren't they shouldn't if you don't know for sure yourself if you're like in on this whole thing, you definitely shouldn't be out doing it. But what you were just talking about with uh and I'm not saying they weren't in on Jesus. I'm saying People no, and I shouldn't even have said college students because anybody of any age, yeah, for sure. their first few times sharing the gospel, is there's gonna be strengths scary. and weaknesses, and they're gonna fumble through certain things, and and they're gonna even say some things that are not gonna be as theologically accurate as they will after they've shared the gospel ten times yeah. or twenty times. But I am super pro giving people some basic paradigms for evangelism and then just sending them out to do it you're pro prayer i'm pro telling people that when you are leading someone to christ you have to tell them that they have to make a personal decision yeah and until they have made that personal decision they have no assurance of salvation that's great i love that that's awesome so the prayer is just a way to for that individual to have a line in the sand that right. they know they're crossing or not. I would be 100 million thousand percent on board with that if crew didn't keep track of their spiritual conversations and their conversions. So when I was on my missions trip, they wanted us, they wanted us to 
turn in all the times that we got into a spiritual conversation and all the times that we were like converted some or whatever. Somebody prayed the prayer basically. Yeah. And I was like, no, I'm not doing that. And I never did. But like when John was on his crew missions trip, John was like, I think he had the most out of anybody. And that's all he cared about. He was so, I mean, not, not all he cared about, but that was like, he wanted to have the most. It was, you know, cause John, yeah. he's like that, you know? And I don't think that's healthy for young people because then it turns Christianity and evangelism into a freaking competition. And some people are going to suck at it. And some people are going to be better. And the people that suck are going to be like, well, maybe God just doesn't love me. Or maybe God's not on my side. Like, do I have the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Like, these people can connect to people. Do I have that? And I saw that happen firsthand in my missions trip. And it was, people were, it, it caused conflict right away. And I was like, why are we doing it? Yeah. So, a couple thoughts on that. Bad theology will always lead to a mess in the church, right? But. Yeah, sure. Right theology always also lead to mess because people are frail and fallen and when you try to align your teaching with the bible align your strategy with the bible let's say there was a way to know you were doing that a hundred percent faithfully and in line with scripture it will still be twisted distorted perverted turned into a competition turned into division in whatever area you're talking about the Bible, the new Testament keeps track of numbers. It says Peter preached and 3000 were added to their number that day. Now, don't you think those early evangelists coming around Peter thought, well, I got 1500. I am a failure when they preach some other sermon or Someone preached a sermon, and maybe maybe Paul preached a sermon where he got time, maybe he got four thousand one time. <laughs> but they they did the numbers once. I mean, and, and Pentecost was like the most. It was an anomaly. It was like a that doesn't happen. Well, if you read through Acts, there's lots of numbers recorded. Yeah, there's lots of instances where it says, and many people were saved, and there's also instances where it says only a few people were saved. I guess I, I'm not so frustrated about the numbers as I am about just like people my age. I think the important thing is more of like, let's share the gospel. Let's do this because what's at stake is an entire generation that could go to hell. My generation is on the fast track to hell. And yeah. like I said a million times, the church is on the sidelines, you know, like cheering them on. Like, yeah, right. you, you go. And so, like, I want young people to go out and sh share the gospel, but I don't want it to be this self-righteous, prideful Oh, look at me. I'm I'm the best one at sharing the gospel. And that's what I continuously find at my age, including myself. Yeah. I'm one of the most right. prideful people in the history of this planet. And I think everybody knows that that's met me. Where yeah. like sometimes when I'm sharing the like I was sharing the gospel on the missions trip and I was like, geez, I am just so much better than this and every like than everybody else. I, I I can just do this so much better. And it's that's the mindset that I think we should like try to get away from. And I feel like certain yeah. systems and certain ways of doing things like they don't help people like, like me to get away from that. And I think the way that crew does, it doesn't help. And I think a lot of these, a lot of churches do it like that too. Yeah. I think there, I would say where I'm at and maybe I'll think differently years from now, but where I'm at is I believe keeping track of numbers 
is a biblical practice. Mm. It's a motivating practice. It helps the goal stay. Not, I don't mean a numerical goal. I mean it keeps the target in the right place. And I think oftentimes organizations or churches that don't keep track of numbers, it's not a biblical conviction at the end of the day. It's fear of some of the things you're talking about. It being coming competitive or people being demoralized when they're not seeing those numbers happening. But I think keeping track of numbers is biblical and it keeps the win in the right place. And then as pastors, we shepherd people's hearts to say, these are the numbers we're going to pray for. These are the souls we're going to pray for. This is We're going to track this because we believe this is the most important thing. And if you don't measure it, you lose track of what you're really going for. But as we keep track of the numbers, we're going to talk about how to process through when you don't see someone come to Christ. And I have seen crew do that part well as well. Right. In terms of they try to really celebrate, you know, a successful gospel conversation is when you share the gospel clearly. It's not any particular response from the person. You're giving them knowledge of who Jesus is that they're going to hopefully carry with them for the rest of their life. And maybe they'll accept Christ 50 years later. So I am I'm a big fan of crew in general. And crew's done like, okay, so like like half the people at this at High Point Church half the people that I know their faith, like the reason they're Christian is heavily like crew played a big role in that. And so when I meet people in their thirties and forties that are still in the trenches with people that don't know Jesus in their day to day life, I'd say more than half the time they had deep experience in a campus ministry that, that prioritized evangelism. And oftentimes it is ends up being crew. Yeah. I, I don't, fully agree with all that but i think i mean i i think that your perspective is prop listen i what's happened in the last two years is like i've been dead set on things and then my mind's just changed yeah so absolutely i i yeah. hope like in my head right now i'm like i hope my mind never changes on this i don't think that it will but i think i'll like, say yeah go ahead my mind on on crew has been shifting lately where it's like i think for a while there like i told you earlier today in the car i was like I don't want to do anything with crew. I don't want to be involved with any of those people. But I realized that like those people like love to share the gospel. Like I, I think like, and that's super duper cool. Like mm-hmm. I think that's awesome. And, mm-hmm. and even more than like, even more than me, like sometimes I will see out of it and I'm like, I don't want to share the gospel. And these people are doing it on the college campus where the churches right. should be doing it, but they're not cause they're lazy and they don't know how. Um, but that was going to shift and segue into the next question kind of segment is, so you have all these different types of churches. And like, I think we've talked about like, uh, a relational church, more relational church and a more intellectual church. There's other words for for all this stuff. I'm going to say it in the easy ways, the relational church and the intellectual church, or I think the intellectual church is a church like high point church that you have Nick who's like, a he's like this big, big tank filled with all this information, some of it is is useless. Some, a lot of it is not. He's very, very, very smart, and he goes up on stage on Sundays, and he's up there, and he's teaching, and he's getting like you know very theological. Begin like and and people intellectuals love that because they they're learning, and I think that's awesome. I think you have the more relational churches, maybe more like the bridge. From when I was there, it felt like more of a relational church. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Am I wrong? 
Keep going. Keep okay, going. okay, okay, I'll keep going. Uh, a more relational church. Okay, how about more like uh, Blackhawk? Blackhawk Church. Does that seem like a more relational church? I'm trying to give a good example. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure that I would necessarily think that a continuum with intellectual on one side yeah. and relational on the other side is necessarily like the most helpful or or even realistic continuum to put on what would be better? A church. Well, I guess what I mean is there are churches that are not yeah. intellectual and not relational. They and just then, are bad. <laughs> no, I mean, these are yeah, two right. churches can be more relational or less relational. They can be more intellectual or less intellectual. Those two things, I think, don't necessarily have any tie hmm. with each other, if that makes sense. Oftentimes, individual pastors right. can be more intellectual preaching and less... Yes. It it may feel less warm to some people. Yeah. That might be the perception of some people. I guess that's kind of where I was going at then. Because Nick is an intellectual pastor, and I think everybody knows that. And I think you're not dumb. Like You're you're still intellectual, and you're smart, but you're more of a relational person. And therefore, I think you're more of a relational pastor. Do you do you agree with that? I don't want to like put. I don't yeah, want to say are, this about you, and no, then you're no, no, thinking no. like this is not true. Um. And I know I just said some pastors are more intellectual and some are more relational. I think one caveat I would maybe say is for people that are intellectually wired, not pastors, just yeah. people attending churches, for people that are naturally academic, smart, yeah, um, well-read, yeah, listening to a pastor who is wired similarly actually feels more relational yeah. and emotionally connected than how they feel when they listen to somebody who's maybe not as academically right. gifted. Because sometimes Does that make it, sense? Yeah, because there are people who be sitting like listening to somebody who's not more academically gifted and like maybe that person will be giving a, a sermon and the intellectual in the in the uh, what the congregation will be like well, why this and why that? And they'll be trying to break everything down and, and that person won't be an answering. So, yeah, what I was going to say is, like, I think there's churches who who lean more into certain things. So, like, there are certain churches that are very heavy on evangelism and, like, yeah. we need to get people in the door and we need to, like, we need to go out and share the gospel. Evangelism, yeah. evangelism, evangelism, yeah. okay? And then it stops there. There's evangelism, you share the gospel, and then these people have nothing else to go to. So they're basically like a bunch of people who know the gospel who are not really growing yeah and then yeah. you got churches like that are like don't do any evangelism and, um uh you got churches like what i would say high point doesn't not do any evangelism but in my opinion it doesn't do a ton of evangelism and but there's a ton of growing here like growth people are learning and there's discipleship going on and there's more of a solid truth foundation well, those both those churches, in my opinion, are, are very important. But how do you how do you work together? Like as an evangelist, you want to have evangelism within every local church, right? Don't you want that? I mean, you're you seem like you're trying to run an evangelistic church. These yeah, are all kind of maybe confusing. I maybe I'm no 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 no. I would say I would say every evangelical pastor, so like every non-Catholic pastor, at the, in the burning center of their heart i would say the vast majority of them want to see people come into christ 
evangelism happening and people growing yeah. spiritually. It's very rare that you'll actually have a pastor that says, you know what? We only care about winning souls and we don't care about growing them. Or, But I could give you examples of churches. I think that happens by default, not by... Yeah, I, w- I would say what actually ends up happening is that people know both these things are part of the Great Commission, and they end up being stronger one at one of them. Yeah, And I would say that that's pretty um, standard, that churches will have be stronger in one area than the other. Is that what you're asking? Yeah, Um yeah, that is exactly what I'm asking. But then I'm I think going even a step further is like okay, so you got churches that are are better at one or better than the other. Yeah. How do we work together? How do those churches work together? Yeah, how do they work together? Cuz I don't see that happening in Madison and I don't see it happening really anywhere else in the United States. Uh, usually you got because there's usually two pastors who who like, okay. One of them will be like, "Well, no, no, no. We need to do more of like discipleship and like, yeah. teaching and then the other one's like no 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 we need to do more of evangelism and like we need to share, spread the gospel well, yeah like you just said both are important yeah. but these two pastors butt heads because of their well mostly because of their egos and then and then they don't and then we then they don't work together where like the people of both churches are both of value and they both could help each other but yeah. it feels like there's no connections and it bothers me yeah yeah I think part of the reason maybe there isn't more partnership on the particular thing you're talking about is because in the heart of most pastors, they want to see both those things happening in their church. So if they were to say, you know what, we're good at winning souls, but we're not good at growing them, when they can admit that to themselves, the gut reaction is, we need to get better at discipleship, not well, I'll just let somebody else do that then. Or I'll just send my people over there to get discipled because it's kind of like yeah. admitting defeat in an area where you're not really biblically allowed to admit defeat. Why? What do you mean? Meaning like I do that think that pastors do. believe, and I think it's biblical to say, it is the responsibility of every local gathering to both win lost people and grow them up. So I don't think you're really allowed to say, well, this church, we're just going to win them. You guys can disciple them. But why can't we all be part of the same? In terms yeah. of learning from each other? Like, okay, so I'm trying to, okay. So we, we okay, I'm, I'm putting my thoughts together. Yeah, it's all head. good. It's all um, good. If you got a church that I'm going to use High Point for as an example, and I'm going to use City Church as an example. Got it. Okay, there are two different churches here in Madison. They're both great. They, they yep. both have great uh, pastors, and they're cool guys. Okay, let's say High Point is very good at, at building people up, and let's say City Church is very good at sp- spreading the gospel. I don't really know much about City Church, so I don't know what they're good at. I know I, I play basketball with Tom in the morning, and he can hoop. He's a baller. <laughs> he actually is really good. It's yeah. super surprising. Yeah. But uh, but they so so like let's say yeah they're good at building people up, and this one's good at sharing the gospel. Why like? If they both have the same basis of truth, but they just don't want to be a mega church, why can't they work together like that? You know, because mega churches also aren't really that healthy, right? If you start building up things within your own church, 
you get too big and then you become a mega church. The pastors get a huge ego and then you start to compromise the truths of the gospel and the Bible. And then you go out of control. We've seen it happen a trillion times in America. It happens over and over and over again. So like, why can't these churches work together all surrounded around the same truth? Does that make sense? Maybe it's just an easy thing for me to say and, and it's impossible to do. Well, let's just using what you just said as an example, and this isn't, just I want the record to show this yeah. is not me saying city churches good at evangelism, high point right. is good at discipleship. They're but just let's just two say names of churches that we're using. We'll just use that as a paradigm. What might that look like for them to work together? Yeah. Well here's here's my and now we're getting into church structure, which is fun. And I, I think about this, but this is this is so I think it would look like Nick, Pastor Nick and Tom, Pastor Tom at, at City Church coming together and like just working with each other. Maybe they don't agree on everything. Maybe the elder boards come together as well. I don't, I haven't thought through everything. They might not all agree on everything, but be like, okay, you have resources that we need. We have resources that you need. Let's come together. Obviously we're both going to meet in our different buildings and whatnot, and people can come to whatever, but like we're all part of the same, same family of of God and and we're all in the same city. And so let's come together. Let's work this out. Let's, let's do different classes. Like maybe high point does a class over there. They do a class. I know that they might be doing stuff like that now. Yeah. Um, but I, to, to get people more connected and also to get like better discipleship going on, better evangelism going on. And like, because there's good things about churches and there's bad things about churches. And we could work together within the same city of Madison and be like, Hey, why have four churches that all believe the same truth of the Bible doing different things rather than one unified church, but they're still at four different locations? That yeah. might not make any sense. No, I mean, so... I, I feel like this is a question that young people have. Maybe, maybe yeah, I'm the one who's not. I, well, I was just going to say, I feel like everybody millennial age and younger are very passionate about interchurch unity and i think that's a work of god yeah i think that's god doing something and maybe that's happened in every generation i don't i don't know enough history to know that but maybe every young group wants unity between the churches always throughout history but either way i think it's a it is a picture of god's heart for unity among the churches i do think senior pastors well, I actually, as I think you know this too, Nick and Tom spend a lot of time together. Yeah. And I think I'm guessing part of the hope is that their different strengths get poured into each yeah. other. Um, so I think that's great. And I think that's happening. And could that happen more in the country in general? Probably. But I think that is happening. And I think that's a great thing. And that helps pastors strengthen themselves in areas where they might not be as strong. Yeah. In terms of formal networks between churches that might have different strengths, um, I think that's there's there's some possibility there. I'm not sure how much making a formal connection would necessarily affect the average person attending one of those churches. You know, if behind the scenes those churches join their nonprofit status or share elder boards or there might be some more growth that happens, but I don't know that necessarily someone attending one of those churches would grow differently if they're attending 
one of them primarily and listening to one of the teachers or preachers primarily. But I think that there's some strengths. There could be some yeah. things that could happen there. Yeah. 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 Well, I was thinking, so you just talked, you just mentioned that like the millennials and whatever my generation, I'm not a millennial. Thank God. You're Gen Z, right? I'm Gen Z. Gen it's, Z. It's a blessing. It's a blessing. It's I do not want to be a millennial. I will tell you. Who that. would? Who I'm would? Are you a millennial? I am a millennial. Wow. Wow. I don't know. Now, now you realize why you hated me I so much. I hate you so much. Yeah. No, but you were just mentioning how like. These two generations are really like striving to have an inner. What what did you say? <laughs> I think like just a, unity and yeah, unity within the church. Yeah, between different churches for right. sure. And unity, I think, even more so, unity within generations. Do you feel that? I feel that for my generation is they're, they're searching to have unity with people who are older than them because their parents have failed them, their teachers have failed them, their coaches have failed them. They want father and mother figures that mm. they never had. Mm. I, that's what I feel for my generation. You might not feel that, but I, I mean, I don't really care because you're not part of my generation. But it's true. That's what I'm getting the feeling for my generation. I think evangelism plays a part in this where, okay, me and you are, I'm 20 and you're 75. <laughs> How I'm, old are you? I'm 33. 33. So we're 13 years apart. And... Um, one of the reasons why you impacted my life so much was when I came to the church and you started to like try to invest time into me, I had never been invested into by somebody older than me, obviously besides my parents, but I had felt like my parents were obligated to do that because they're mm-hmm. my parents. So mm-hmm. anybody outside of my family had never invested into me. And I was mm-hmm. like, because they didn't, they felt like they didn't care about me. And and you did, and that like changed my life, and it mm. showed me what Christ was like. And so, you did that to me, and I think of like, how how do we how do we continue that? Like, people my age are searching for that, and they're not getting it on the campus. On the campuses, the Christians down there, they're not getting the intergenerational stuff. Um, how, how do how do you get older people to care about that? Because mm. I've been trying. I think for like a year and a half, two years, all I talk about is like. We need to have some of the older people at church go down and disciple some of these younger people on campus who are Christians who care about Jesus. And nobody wants to do it. They're like, oh, Andy, you're a Christian. You can go down there and you can invest into them. Well, no, I can't because I'm only, you mentioned the levels of, there's one, two, three, four. You mentioned to me, there's like four levels that you kind of made up. This isn't like a real thing, but there's (laughs) like four levels of Christianity where like there's a level one Christian who just learned the gospel level two kind of knows it better level three level four is like Yoda and he knows all the things and so if I'm a level one I can't be teaching a level one because Mm. that doesn't make any sense Mm. because I don't know more than them so there has to be somebody who's wiser teaching the younger and as and this I don't know if this has much to do with evangelism this whole podcast has gone all over the place and I'm totally fine with that it's all good what did you do? What was effective in our relationship? And also, what do you say about about older people? How can they connect with this younger generation? Because I think you did a great job with me. Oh, thanks, Andy. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Andy. Being in your life was a great blessing to me as well. <laughs> yeah. And still is. Although right. we're states apart now. But, yeah. <laughs> but, right. uh, um, I would say, are you asking, like, what do you say? How do you how do you mobilize older people to invest in younger people? 
Yeah, because I think that a lot of their thought processes, you know, like this young person doesn't want to hang out with me. This young person yeah. thinks I'm stupid. And there's like, a lot of there's a lot of insecurity in both directions about younger people feeling insecure around older people and older people feeling very insecure around younger people. In general, I think for an individual person, so obviously pastors can preach on it, teach on it, train for it, right? As an individual person like you, I th- I think you you take it a baby step at a time and you try to live it out in your own life. So you are 20, yeah. but you're 10 years older than somebody. Right. So there are there is a younger generation that you can yeah. and I think should invest in and the more you do it yourself the more weight that adds to your request to older people to do it right as as the more you live something in your own life the more persuasive ability you have to have to ask other people to do the same thing yeah so lead even, by example lead by example exactly so if you're investing in the next generation under you i think as you talk to older people that Maybe not even the fact that you can say to them, oh, I'm investing in younger people. I'm not saying that necessarily would be something you would even say to them, like, do what I'm doing. But you talk about it differently to them when you're actually living it. You have different words. You have different mindsets. You have different ability to cast vision. So I think living it out yourself is a big part of it. And then I think the other big part of it is doing what I feel like you're doing a great job of is asking older people to pour into you when that's a big one right that's a big one like dude yeah like that's that's a big one people my age they don't want to do that yeah and is that like what do you do then because i've had struggles where i'm like talking to my friends and i'm like listen if you you want to grow in your faith yeah you got to have somebody that that is pouring into you like i have six seven people yeah most people don't need that many I'm yeah. that messed up that I need six or seven people. And so like most people just need one. Yeah. yeah and so yeah. It's, it's not really that hard of a task, but they're just like, nah, I don't want to. Or like, I'm too lazy. And then I'm like, I don't want to hang out with this person anymore because I feel like they're not taking their face seriously. And that's, that might be very intense and very eight of me to do Enneagram eight. But I struggle with that because I think that's very important, but it seems like there's no, these younger people of my generation just wants older people to come and reach out to them. And then the older people are like, well, if they wanted it, they'd come and talk to right. me. And I'm yes. like, somebody has to make a move here. Like we can't keep playing this game. I think the older people should, because they're the older people and they should just take responsibility and do it. But the more that i say that to them, they're like, I'm busy, yeah. you know, making whatever carving, something i don't even know they're doing dumb th- they make excuses basically yeah it's all excuses so what do you how do you how do you get through that yeah what would you say vince what would the great vincent saint <laughs> vincent de paul what would you say saint vinnie's thrift store saint vinnie's that vince you created that well i did what would i say to an older person yeah and also to a younger person um
Maybe you can take out this pause. <laughs> no, I, I like. I, we're probably gonna keep everything. Yeah, I'm processing. That's fine. I'm processing. Take your time. Yeah, I think that it's hard to not see this through the lens of being a pastor, because when you're a pastor, you have a lot more tools at your disposal right. to address issues like this, right? Yeah, you have influence. You have certain, well, you have, you don't have influence over everything, but you do have influence over some spiritual things for people that consider themselves Christians. Yeah. So that offers you a lot of opportunity that you wouldn't have otherwise. So I'm trying to think of it through the lens of if you're not a pastor and well, if you weren't always a pastor, I wasn't always a pastor. Exactly. And I do think you don't. You don't have many more tools at your disposal. If this is something God's really put on your heart, I think you, you mentor, you find yourself a mentor. You encourage your friends to be a part of a church where they can find a mentor, whether that's through joining a small group led by an older person and then asking that small group leader to mentor them yeah. or finding someone else in a small group that is older than you that might yeah. mentor you. But but um, there's like a one-on-one thing too. Cause yeah, like, yeah. And if you join a small group, you can sometimes ask that leader to yeah. meet with you outside of the small group. Right. High Point. That's one of the things I love about High Point is they do inter- intergenerational small groups. So yeah. if you're a young person and you join a small group, there will be older people in the group, probably besides just the group leader that are older that might be able to invest in. Yeah. You. But besides encouraging people to try it out and telling stories of how it's affected you, um. I think those are the tools. Yeah. Those are the tools at hand. You just got to do it. Yeah. You got to do it. And anything, all of like all of the kinds of things we've been talking about on this podcast, evangelism, mentoring, discipleship, training people to do evangelism. When, when God brings change in a church or in a campus ministry or a group of people, when he, when he makes a, um, difference like when people do start mentoring or people do start doing evangelism or people do start getting equipped whatever it is when that actually happens I think it's oftentimes it takes time Yeah, it takes time it takes people like you dedicating years of their life to bringing change yeah. I remember I was a worship leader for a youth group like 12 years ago, 10 so years ago. This was after Vince was a world famous rock star. No, I was never a world famous rock star, but I remember I was a youth worship leader and of a youth group of like maybe a hundred kids or something. And everybody, all the kids in the youth group during worship were texting. Yeah. I told you the story. No, I haven't okay. heard this. I literally, I want to hear it. We're playing up there. They're texting. They're talking to each other. They're goofing around. There's like one kid singing. No, maybe 20 kids singing. It's just like people aren't engaging in worship, right? So when I became the worship guy, that I hated, Yeah. right? It was my job to help them worship God. Yeah. And it was not happening. And I did not know why. I did not have the tools to fix it, nor was I even sure why it wasn't working. So I did everything I could think of to do. I 
tried to coach our musicians better because they weren't very good. Yeah. Couldn't really play in time. Couldn't really hit the chord changes at the right times. And so we worked on that for years. And then we kicked out some of these musicians and we got better musicians and we improved a lot of the quality of the music and it still didn't help. Everyone was still very disengaged. Were you frustrated at that point? Oh, I was so frustrated. And obviously this is a smaller, maybe in some ways a smaller situation than feeling like, you know, how do we get one generation to mentor another one across the country? It starts small. It felt very big. Yeah, it starts small and it felt very big for me, right? It was my community. It was the thing that God had entrusted me to lead and I was failing, right? So during that time, my own faith started growing a lot, and I started encountering God differently while I was leading worship than I had before. And then some other people in the band started growing more spiritually. And then um, we went on a retreat. This was like 2009. We went on a retreat, and the Holy Spirit just showed up on this retreat. And it went from everybody disengaged and not paying attention to kids were encountering the presence of God and they're crying and they're worshiping and they got their hands in the air. And a lot of the testimonies they shared were, I met God while we were worshiping and it was a beautiful thing. And from the outside, it might've looked like, oh my gosh, that just happened overnight. But the reality was it was years of trying different things and failing yeah. and and not really knowing what to try and kind of like staying faithful to god like even trusting him well, yeah and i honestly don't even know how much i trusted him yeah i kind of just was <laughs> stayed in the grind and when it actually happened it still didn't leave me going oh now i know the formula right i know i could do this again somewhere else or i could help another youth worship leader I could give him a five-step thing of how to make it happen because of the you can you can't you couldn't create a formula. God right. just had to show up, and he just had to. Vince just looked through the window at us. So John, that's, John did right. Yeah, or wow, you're on this. <laughs> John looked through the window. Um, God had to show up and just do it, and and yeah. I think that's part of it. This whole intergenerational thing we talk about. I've talked about revival with you, like. Some of it is how much you grind and how much you work at it. And obviously, like, I'm going to dedicate my life to to this, and I have, and I'm going to continue to do that. And I, yeah. and I, I know mo- a lot of people my age are going to do that. But, like, during those times where you feel like nothing's working, I think even just trusting, like, hey, God also has a plan, and it, it might mean that you have to fail a thousand times before yeah. he shows up. And that's, yeah. that's, that's good. That's fine. Yes. I love that. I love that. I heard a quote from a pastor in the Chicago area named Steve Nicholson, who um, his sister is actually married to Mike Beresford. Long story, but for some of you listening at High Point, you'll know that connection now. But anyways, senior pastor, Evanston, Illinois, and he said, pastors get in trouble when they try to take on things that God hasn't asked them to take on. God has given each of us, I think, certain things. He is giving us the responsibility to try to lead and bring change in. And we are not all 
responsible for all of the change that has to happen in the church in the world. Like Peter was the apostle to the Jews Mm -hmm. and Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. They didn't say, Peter, you've got to go to the whole world. Paul, you've got to go to the whole world. They divided and conquered. Right. So I think... And there's strength in numbers. There's strength in numbers. So I think there are things for you, Andy, that God has given you the responsibility to try to work toward. And I think there are things he hasn't given you the responsibility. And you working through what you are responsible for working on and what you aren't might be good for you. And I would think that would be good for everybody listening as well, especially people in their 20s. If they're listening to this podcast, they likely have some passion as well because people that don't have some passion are going to be like, I don't want to hear any of this, right? (laughs) But people that are listening to this, I'm guessing are people that are passionate, want to see change, want to make a difference, want to make an impact. And the reality is impact comes through years of grinding it out in an area that God has actually given you the responsibility to grind it out. And grinding it out in your own personal life as well. Yes. Think about think about any major figure in the Bible, including Jesus Christ himself. Their ministry usually doesn't start till till they're old. Later on, right? Later on. I mean, Abraham himself was very old when God called him to to do anything, and Noah was old and Jesus was thirty. And like yeah. and David, he was a kid, so David's an exception. But he didn't get to the throne until later. Right. Exactly. So like God's not ignoring you. I, I felt, uh, and being a young person, like I felt like God's ignoring me. Or like, God, mm. I have so much potential you could use right now, and I could change the whole church right now as a twenty-year-old or a nineteen-year-old. Yeah, I could do that right now. And like God has used you, Vince, and Nick, and John, yeah, and been like, I'm gonna speak through these dudes and basically say to you, Andy, like, shut up. Like, you need to, you need to be humble. And like, like. God's not ignoring, he wasn't ever ignoring me. He was just like, you're going to have your impact. You're going to have your, your time as soon as you have, as soon as I've become to, I've come to a place where God's comfortable sending me out there and doing it where he's Mm -hmm. like, Hey, you're more like Christ now than you were 10 years ago. It could take me 50 years. That's how messed Mm -hmm. up I am. Vince, you know that (laughs) it could take me 50 years, but Mm -hmm. when I'm 70 years old and I'm doing evangelism, I'm going to be like, we should be doing it for the Lord. It doesn't matter how, how long it takes him. And I think I get fired up about this because there's so much good in my generation. They're a hurt generation and they gone through a lot, which is usually when somebody is hurt and somebody's gone through a lot, they usually have the biggest impact in the church and for mm-hmm. Christ. And so I think that we could do a lot, but it's going to take a lot of healing and we yeah. have to be okay with that because the healing yeah. has to come before all the impact and all the other stuff. You got to be able to be patient and I'm the worst at that. <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. the worst. So, you know, I, I, it's a good check for me too. So I think that that's important. Um, yeah, that's a good word. Yeah. That's but a good word. I think, I think that's all we got for today. I think that was, that was really good stuff. Um, do you have any, do you have anything else you want to, any last words or anything like that you want to talk about or, or anything, any, any, any wisdom to the people on evangelism as, as the last thing you want to give to them yeah. or anything, not just, yeah. well, maybe I'll just touch on that one more time since that is what we started on. Um, yeah. I think like I I'll just share one last thing like I have a 
prayer list I pray through each day. I have such trouble focusing during prayer that I just, what I'm doing lately is I just make a list, right? And I pray through it every day. Pray for friends, the church, my wife, our marriage, you know, all these different bullet points. And one of the bullet points is for the lost people I have friendships with and a prayer to bring new lost people into my life, people that don't know Jesus. And that's just a system in my life. It is one system that keeps in front of me the need to stay engaged with people that don't know Jesus. And I can't tell you how many times in that prayer time I remember, oh yeah, this is part of what God's call in my life is. And I'll text somebody who doesn't know Jesus right when I'm done praying or if I'm honest in the middle of that prayer time and I would not in the in the hustle of every day and the responsibilities of every day I would not naturally keep it in front of myself I have to have a system a strategy to stay engaged with people who don't know Jesus the voices of people who know Jesus who are expecting certain things from me I hear those voices all day, every day, right? People in my life that love Jesus, that want me to invest, deposit, or work on things with or for them, they have constant access to me. There is no natural way that the voice of lost people gets into my ears. They are outside of my circle. They are the silent voice. Yeah that I have to find out and make a decision that I'm going to choose to tune my ears to their voices, to make it a priority to stay emotionally connected to the people that are lost, that are going to hell, that are waiting on the feet of those who bring good news, to bring the good news to them right if they have not heard how can they say yes right and that slips off my mind constantly and i have to keep reminding myself and so it is a discipline just like so many other things in our in our christian life yeah and that's jesus knew it because he sent people out and he therefore go and Spread the gospel to all the nations. Right. He said, go. Don't wait. He said, go. So that's cool. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for that. Thanks for joining us, Vince. It's awesome to have you on the podcast. I was super excited, and I'm super happy to have you. Thanks for um, having me. Don't forget to subscribe and follow and uh, give us a rating. Tell your friends. Do whatever you got to do. Get this thing out there. Um And also, don't forget to listen to the Optive Music Podcast. We're coming out with a new one in a week, I think. Um, Reviewing some albums. You're not going to want to miss it. It's me and Luke. It it doesn't get much better than that. No way. No way, Jose. No way, Jose. Yeah. All right. So thanks for joining us today, and we will see you guys in the next one. Bye.